You're listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at the American Council of the Blind. And Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. Thank you to everyone who's joining us over ACB Radio, as well as via your favorite podcast players. To learn more about ACB, you can always visit acb.org. So we are here today to talk about a really, I think, pertinent topic to all of us in 2019, um, and that's digital access. Um, We live in a world of computers and smartphones and websites, and it's it's an important for it's an important topic for everybody. But when you throw in the need for accessibility, um, you have this whole new layer of difficulties to deal with. And we had some exciting um, work done by our now very past president of ACB, Kim Charlson, was uh, out here in D.C. where we're located, talking about the issue. So we're just gonna. Uh, kind of talk about the topic and then hear a little bit. Clark was able and fortunate to go and hear Kim speak, so he'll give a little recap on what that was like. But first and foremost, Clark, what is digital accessibility? Yeah, Claire, digital accessibility, when you think of the digital world, it's everything from hardware, software, uh, whether that's located on a device in your hand, on a computer, um, home appliances, or even products in the workplace. Mm -hmm. It's the electronic access to information, and that information can be totally recreational in nature, like me drafting and setting my fantasy football lineups (laughs) uh, for the beginning of the 2019 NFL season. Very nice. Or it could be keeping up with friends and family on social media, but we also have to take into consideration the tools and products that are used uh, for learning in uh, schools and universities and educational settings, uh, as well as the workplace. It's true. Literally everything now that we deal deal with on a daily basis, whether it be school-related, work-related, health-related, uh, recreationally-related, everything now we can do um, on digital services. So it's, it's a big thing. And so... Um, We want to talk a little bit about what it means for things to be accessible. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are blind or visually impaired live this on an everyday basis, but we want to talk a little bit about what something means, what does it mean when something's accessible? Um, So I always put the caveat that I am not a computer engineer in any way, shape, or form. Um, So I'm sure our engineers out there could give us a lot more intricate detail on what makes something accessible. But basically, in layman's terms, we need things to be compatible with screen reading software, um, to work alongside things like magnification software, um, so that when we go to use an app, a website, a product right out of the box, they're going to be accessible for people who are blind and visually impaired and work in collaboration with our software and not conflict and prevent us from using them. And that's right, Claire. So this could be anything, like Claire said, from magnification software as well as screen readers, uh, making sure that somebody who is blind or low vision is able to use a flat touchscreen display. Uh, But also, we want to make sure that for folks who use Braille displays or Mm -hmm. Braille monitors, that they are able to uh, interpret the information that they are receiving from application software and websites. Exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and like we were saying before, it really applies in all settings, whether it be, you know, family, home, work, play, all of the above. Um, Clark and myself and one of our colleagues were actually just out exploring some new pieces of technology and whether or not they were accessible um, as they apply to the home. So washers and dryers and televisions and refrigerators and um, everything now is so technically based. And so um, how do those things interact with um, screen reading software and what have you? And can people who are blind use them or are we gonna run into hurdles? Because when they were designed, the blind weren't um, kept in the loop or thought of, um, which is really interesting because technology has really advanced in a place where making things accessible is not hard, it's not difficult. Again, I'm not a computer programmer, but from what I've heard, it's not difficult to do it. But if you forget to do it upfront, when you try to retroactively fix it, you're running into all these hurdles. So it's much better to build the accessibility right in from the get-go instead of trying to you know, turn around and go, oh shoot, how do we catch up and make things accessible after the fact? Yeah. Let's take the the everyone's favorite example. The iPhone, for Woo-hoo. example, uh, has been made accessible since 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the third generation or 3S. I don't remember which one it is. Something I'm like sorry, that. Yeah. but it was late 2009. Ten years later, we're at the uh, iPhone X, and by the time this podcast airs, or there'll be twenty more versions, right, probably. Or when you listen to it, um, Apple may have announced the eleven. Uh, it's just that time of year. Yep. Think about all of the applications that someone has in their fingertips, um, just within a smartphone. All and before this handy dandy little supercomputer um, was given a product or a software like voiceover, uh, how many different things you had to carry with you Mm -hmm. to be able to do what one smartphone can do. Um, So technology is definitely advancing. It's making our lives easier and great accessibility tools like voiceover uh, really puts all of that power at our fingertips. It's true. Um, So we've been talking a lot about what it means for things to be accessible and the positive impact it can have on the lives of people who are blind or low vision. Um, That's exactly what, um, again, our very previous past president, Kim Charleston, came to Washington, D.C. to talk about. She was on a panel accompanied by some very awesome um, co-speakers, so very, very awesome group of people talking about that, and Clark can tell us. Um, So Clark, do you mind telling us? I unfortunately wasn't able to attend, but Clark and Kelly from our office were both fortunate to go to the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. and hear them um, talk about these issues. So do you want to give us a brief summary, Clark, of what you heard? Absolutely. So this event um, was highlighting the importance of uh, including assistive technology and incorporating assistive technology and including people with disabilities in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Accenture group uh, did a research study that found that for the 11 million people with disabilities currently not in the workforce um, who are actively looking for work and who would like to be employed, for every 1% the disability employment rate uh, would go up, that would result in $25 billion. That's Billion with a B. Exactly. Nice. Uh, would increase 
the GDP or the like the um, economic growth for the U.S. That's amazing. Uh, so that's a big number. That's a lot. And Kim was on a panel with the uh, chief sponsor of the Americans with Disabilities Act, retired Senator Tom Harkin. From you know, just Iowa. Tom Harkin. No big right. deal. No big deal. Um, as well as one of the principal developers and founder of the internet, Vinton Cerf, uh, as well as a, a professor uh, who does a lot of work on assistive technology, uh, Dr. Greg Vanderheiden, uh, who's currently with the, I believe it's the Trace Center at the University of Maryland, mm-hmm. um, and a couple other panelists. And again, the, Kim's main point on this panel was to drive home you know, the personal impact of incorporating assistive technology, uh, both in an education setting as well as in the workforce, the difference it can make in somebody's life, uh, but also the importance of having that fulfillment of work and a more inclusive work environment. So kind of uh, stopping on that point for a second, I think it's really important for us to talk about how important accessible technology is in the workforce. You know, earlier we were talking about things like our phones and our TVs, which are extremely important to me recreationally. Um, But technology as it applies to work is huge. Um, I think Clark and I can both say that if we didn't have assistive technology, we couldn't do our jobs. We're literally on the internet looking up research. We're drafting documents to send to people. We're emailing members of the Hill to try to set up meetings. So literally everything we do ties back to our computer in some way. That just is what it is in 2019. And Clark and I are both JAWS users. JAWS users, we use screen reading software. So literally our jobs are, are surrounded by assistive technology. So just think, you know, what it would have been like to try to do our job if suddenly, poof, JAWS was gone, our screen reading software was gone. So it makes a huge difference in the work that we do every Portrait. day. Screen curtain on. That's right. And in addition to using assistive technology like JAWS, JAWS is great when a program is designed to work well with screen readers Mm -hmm. or work well with a magnification software. But there are several, uh, still several aspects of employment that do not work so well with assistive technology. A lot of companies uh, and even the federal government are going to accept applications solely online. Um, And those systems need to be made accessible to work with assistive technology. There are, we'll call them like back office operations. So whether that's HR, payroll, time off requests, uh, benefits for employees, all of those systems need to be optimized for assistive technology. And when you do that, you make sure that people can be productive in the workplace, get the most out of their work experience, and also deliver Uh, optimal solutions to their stakeholders. It's true. I won't name any names, but some of the most widely used um, HR programs in the United States, unfortunately, um, are not accessible with screen reading software and other accessible technology. So we have a long way to go as far as access goes in the workforce. And it's amazing. There are so many websites or software, hardware out there that we just take for granted. You Mm -hmm. pick it up and it works. Uh, But Claire, 
you still get some companies that say like, well, I don't know how to do it or it's too hard. You know, the, well, the government hasn't issued, the Department of Justice hasn't issued um, standards for mm-hmm. making websites or hardware and software accessible. What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Are they really out there in the wilderness all on their own? They are not. So a couple of things. First and foremost, I know that's a really commonly used excuse because the Department of Justice has not um, promulgated regulations. Um, as they relate to website accessibility. Um, It was something we thought was going to happen during the Obama administration. Unfortunately, it didn't, but fingers crossed it'll happen eventually. But besides that, Department of Justice has said over and over again, yes, the regs aren't out there explicitly, but that doesn't mean that websites don't apply under uh, Title II and Title III of the ADA. So they can't use that as an excuse. DOJ has said on more than one occasion, you can't use that as an excuse. So I just always like to put that out there. Um, But also people can't argue that because there are no regs, they don't know what to do because there are lots of guidelines out there. Um, There's something called WCAG, um, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Did I get that right? You did. Sweet. Um, So WCAG is based out of an international program. Um, So it's not just here in the U.S., it's around the globe. And they are guidelines that have been developed. They've gone through multiple iterations. They're always improving it because they want to keep afloat and make sure that they are working with the changing Uh, landscape of websites, but these guidelines that are out there help explain what makes accessible uh, websites, applications on your phones, anything in kind of the digital space. Um, I actually was at a conference um, back in July and they had some of the engineers in the room who help with the WCAG um, standards, and you could totally hear them geeking out, just talking computer talk. Um, and again, I'm no computer engineer, but it was really exciting to hear the computer geeks in the room saying, oh, well, if you program it this way and that way, this will make it more accessible. And they really know their stuff, and they know the ins and outs, and they know what's going to make something accessible. Yeah, and these web content accessibility guidelines, you know, they're not set by... ACB. No. You know, they're not set by some small, um, you know, some small group or organization just fixated in the assistive tech world. They're set by the World Wide Web Consortium. Exactly. Um, you know, huge international um, standard setting body for the internet. So these are, like Claire said, worldwide standards, um, widely adopted throughout the world. And guess what? The U.S. government has adopted them as well. What? So within um, Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act, the federal government and their contractors need to incorporate web accessibility. And when the 508 standards were updated in 2017, they included the web content accessibility guidelines in their standards. We've even started to see it, even though Department of Justice hasn't officially adopted them as our regs, we've started to see several courts throughout the U.S. say in their rulings that WCAG is basically the regulations we should use. So right there, putting my legal hat on for a second, uh, we're having legal precedent set in our common law system that's pointing to the WCAG regulations. So again, we have legal precedent set that says this is what we should look to. Um, So people can't just, you know, say, oh, there's nothing out there. What do we do? We're really seeing it being applied in a lot of different ways. So you can't just, you know, pretend you don't know anymore. 
Yeah, and in, and I like to think of it this way. If I was a company, I would much rather welcome flexible guidelines that allows me to implement uh, accessibility standards that would optimize my products and services to meet my customers than having to do it you know, a strict, according to Hoyle, rigid way set forth by government regulations. Exactly. Call me crazy. Well, that's a whole other discussion, but yeah. that's true. <laughs> so in, we see this uh, quite frequently. Uh, so ACB just finished up working with Cisco, mm-hmm. and yep. as a result, the Cisco Enterprise desk phone that for the longest time was never accessible... Uh, you know, it's a great product. It's in most offices throughout the com- throughout the country. I know every job that I've had, there's been one on my desk, and I knew how to answer a call. I knew how to hang up on a call. But that was about it, because no other feature of the phone was accessible. Now, after working with ACB, and thanks to having guidelines on how to make uh, content as well as hardware and software accessible... Cisco has made their 8800 series phone have text-to-speech capability. Yeah, thank you, Cisco. It was a huge thing. So now when Clark calls me, my phone's accessible and I know not to pick it up. So it's huge. Thanks. You're welcome. You're welcome. So unfortunately, as as we hear more and more about uh, digital accessibility, website accessibility... Um, I'll say we're not hearing about it for the right reasons. And here at ACB, we have a number of examples of companies who are doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. But in general, when we hear about it in the media, we hear about some unscrupulous lawyer that just blasted out a thousand demand letters to... The drive-by lawsuits, as a lot of people call that. Yeah, to a lot of different companies, um, hitting them with demand letters about the inaccessibility of their website. Mm-hmm. And then there's always a backlash of, well, there's something wrong with the ADA that allows this to happen. And that's when we need to do a hard pivot of the conversation. It's like, well, nothing's wrong with the ADA. You still have an inaccessible website. You know, Don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. But let's look at how we can fix this problem. And again, the ADA is not the problem. The, exactly. The ADA is trying to make a more accessible world for everyone. I, I know that in a lot of cases, you might think that a, uh, a winery or a brewery or a farm stand's website is not the place to start. But it's part of the world, and it's a part of commerce that's open to everyone. Yeah, and kind of as a tangent on that, we saw, I guess about within the last year or two, there was something called uh, HR 620 that had come out, and it was in response to the drive-by lawsuits where um, Congress said, we need to pass this law where if a restaurant, a business isn't accessible, the person with the disability has to report it, and then the business has 180 days or whatever the time frame they were um, asking for to fix it. Well, this was something the disability community and myself personally um, were really frustrated by because hello, you need to apply with the ADA. It's been around for almost 30 years. 
Um, thankfully that didn't go through, but we're keeping our eye on it. But I'm bringing it up now too, because we have been afraid that a six, HR 628 equivalent will be put out there for the digital world that you know website creators can say, oh, we're now aware that it's not accessible. Give us another uh, 180 days or whatever the time frame is. And we wanna make sure that doesn't happen. Um, again, it, the ADA has been around for 30 years. You can't make that argument. So, it's, And this is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I, I'm going to stumble over my words here just because I <laughs> I find this so hard to process. I mean, you're talking about notification um, for violations of, of a civil, of right. a civil rights mm-hmm. law. Yeah. So it's... Sorry, women, we discriminated against you. Right. You have to report it. Give us 180 days and we'll fix it. Hello, yeah. as a woman, that's not my that's not how I want my civil rights protected. So why would we say that in the disability world? So, Yeah, and I guess not laws because they haven't been passed yet, but bills and pieces of legislation on this topic with this same uh, modernization of the Americas with Disabilities Act, uh, you know, because it would make it, more modern for the future, just what we all need and want. <laughs> That's right. um, these have been around uh, for close to 20 years. The, the big difference was in the last Congress, so 2016, 2017, the bill that Claire mentioned, um, HR 620, it nearly passed. Yeah, it, it passed. It passed out of the House, uh, bipartisan, and it died in the Senate. Uh, That's that was too close for comfort mm-hmm. um, to think that it nearly passed Congress. So a similar bill has been introduced in the current Congress uh, this year, 2019, but it, it does not have any momentum behind it. The disability community and ACB and our members are doing a great job of uh, talking about this issue and educating our elected officials so that they know that this is a bad idea. Uh, but that's not the only avenue that we see uh, the ADA in the form of digital accessibility uh, being challenged. Mm-hmm. So as we were all, you know, arms locked, swaying back and forth, celebrating the <laughs> 29th anniversary of the ADA, there were news stories popping up left and right about Domino's Pizza, yep. of all places. You know, American iconic simply, you know, Up there Domino's, yeah. Mom and apple pie and exactly. pizza. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, asking the Supreme Court to take up a case of an ACB member, yeah. Guillermo Robles from California. Exactly, yeah. Who has pointed out to Domino's that, hey, I'm blind and I cannot order using your website. You should fix this. So that court, that case has gone from the court through an appeals. Uh, Guillermo Robles won the appeal in the Ninth Circuit on the West Coast, three to zero. And Domino's decided, you know what? We think there's some wiggle room here. You know, three, three to oh, that's not definitive. Let's, let's go see what the Supreme Court has to say. Yep. And now it's gone, it's, uh, again, like Clark said, it went through the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit said, you know, with uh, without any doubt that the ADA does apply to Domino's website. They need to make it accessible for blind or visually impaired customers. And yet, even after all of that, after all these years, Domino's is trying to get um, a writ of certiorari to go up to the Supreme Court to have their 
uh, case heard. So um, knock on wood, they haven't been granted cert yet, but we will be hearing um, fairly soon whether that might happen. Um, you know, we're a little nervous about this, not because we don't believe that Domino's has great argument, or not Domino's, like uh, Mr. Robles has great, you know, argument behind him that Domino's does not, but the Supreme Court has had kind of a a weird, difficult history with um, under the ADA. So, you know, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed and um, ACB will do everything we can to advocate on behalf of Mr. Robles and uh, website users who are blind and visually impaired. Um, but, you know, we're waiting with a bated breath to see if they get a rid of cert. So um, stay tuned to hear what will hear what will happen there. So, yeah. And this is not an example like we talked about before of those uh, drive-by lawsuits from a, an unscrupulous attorney. Uh, this is a very legitimate case. Yes. But we will add that those bad actors that do send demand letters to uh, everyone for any reason, that makes the work that we do here at ACB a lot more difficult. Because once a company receives you know, demand letters just looking for a settlement and they see that quick, easy fix and a way out, Dollar uh, signs, yeah. Yeah, they're less likely to look favorably on uh, outreach from ACB or our members. Well, and another thing that I think is important to bring up there from my legal background is that people, I think Congress and people, they're so afraid of these drive-by lawsuits that they quickly think the only answer are things like HR 620, where in order to fix the problem, we have to stop people from suing. That's not the answer. People have every right to sue under a law that says X, Y, or Z. Instead, we need to be going directly to the attorneys who are doing this, and we can do that through things like the American Bar Association or each state-specific bar association. So instead of you know going after the law that has great significant civil rights uh, you know history behind it, why aren't we trying to work with the attorneys that are abusing it instead of hurting all the people that the law applies to? So I think we really need to shift our focus on how to address the problem. Great. Well, do you have anything else to say about digital accessibility, Clark? I know that's a topic we could talk about all day. It's 2019, everything out there is on a screen or a computer or an application. So um, I'm sure lots of our listeners have all kinds of ideas spinning in their head. Yeah, and the fact that the, the internet is so encompassing in our lives. Um, the internet told me that, by the way, so you know it's true. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you're interested to learn more about the event that Kim Charlson, our uh, first or immediate past president, participated in um, in early September at the National Press Club, Kim actually sat down with me for a Facebook Live event. And that is available on the ACB Facebook page from, let's say, September 4th, Wednesday, September 4th. So you can check that out there. Uh, be sure to like it and share it so more people can learn about digital accessibility on, as well. On your computer with your assistive technology on Facebook, knock on wood, that it continues to be an accessible website, but we will see. So right there, digital accessibility. <laughs> yep, exactly. And... As always, we will keep everyone informed as Domino's v. Robles uh, proceeds throughout the legal system. And I, I know that there are a lot of websites out there, a lot of online services, 
And if you find some that are not accessible, please bring them to our attention. Please, you can do yeah. that at advocacy at acb.org. Uh, just know that there's a lot out there. We do hear um, quite a bit from our members, you know, whether that's on dating what apps, apps and websites or um, appliances, uh, different hardware and software. And it's not that we, we don't care if we don't take action on a specific issue. It's just that, like Claire said earlier, the, the internet is everywhere. Um, digital technology and information is everywhere. So it's really difficult for us to take action on all these items, but we do try our best. Great. Well, thank you, Clark. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to our episode this week. Um, again, like Clark said, email us at advocacy at acb.org. Again, digital access with any issues that you um, want us to know about. And what do we always say, Clark? Keep advocating. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.